haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste, O God, me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Who made 
Scripture readings for this, the eighth Sunday after Pentecost, the Old Testament reading from the ninth chapter of Genesis, verses 8 through 17. And God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is set in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters will never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it, and I'll remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. The epistle lesson from the third chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him 
who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. We continue with the singing of the hymn to introduce the gospel, God Moves in Our Mysterious Way. 765. according to St. Mark, the sixth chapter. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. And he meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret, and they moored to the shore. 
And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly set in the heaven. Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text from the Holy Gospel. And Jesus saw that his disciples were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking upon the sea. And he meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. How often in life it seems that one fear that we have that might be put to rest is so suddenly replaced by some other fear of some other event that that settles upon us like a storm at sea and tosses us all about. One storm, it seems, after another. We no more than get the good results, for example, of our own medical exam. We're so relieved to find out that everything is all right, and then suddenly, if out of nowhere, another event, another crisis, another concern of one sort or the other comes upon us. The medical diagnosis of a parent or a spouse that didn't turn out as well as ours did, or perhaps it's a pregnancy that's abruptly or prematurely ended, Perhaps it's a loved one who dies, and such events like those break our hearts. Or it might be someone learning that he's been laid off, or that a spouse has been unfaithful. Knowing then that our children or our grandchildren have to grow up in a situation of a broken home. Or perhaps it's a commute home from work that ends in an accident that turns everything in life upside down. Or it might be someone who is bitterly angered with us, and it turns everything in our lives inside out. Each an unsettling circumstance, which seems like some storm to come upon us so quickly and to unsettle us so greatly, and it certainly isn't unique to us individually. It's a universal experience. It has universal applicability because You see, the condition of human sinfulness that brings on so many of these storms in our lives is also universally applicable. It's not that just some of us are sinful, we all are, and so we can all expect in life to experience these sudden onsets, these tidal waves that come as a consequence of sin in life. Even as we heard in the Old Testament lesson today, regarding that flood of Noah's day that flooded over all of mankind because all of mankind was sinful, including, by the way, Noah and his family who were spared simply because of God's electing grace and so also the whole world of our day is just as sinful, including, by the way, each of us and our families who are spared only by God's electing grace, sin is universal. And so sin's storms, as they affect individual lives, will also be universally evident. Each whipping each of us here and there in a different way, in a different direction. And who but the man who lives with blinders on, or the man who puts his head in some hole someplace, would deny the universal application of sin in our world. Who but someone who hides from reality 
can deny the universality of sin's storms despite mankind's attempts to quiet and distill them and how we try in some organized fashion, in some organized way as humankind to still those storms that are there. Someone recently put it this way, we thought that the invention of printing would hasten the spread of the gospel and make things better, but it has hastened the spread of false philosophies and demoralizing literature as well. We thought that a shorter work week would solve social problems. However, we are now confronted with the problem of misused leisure. We thought that the eradication of child labor would take care of our youth, and then we encountered the appalling problems of juvenile delinquency. We thought that more deadly weapons would make war unthinkable, and we find ourselves standing aghast before the specter of global nuclear confrontation. We thought that a higher standard of living would bring widespread contentment among people, but it probably has resulted in more dissatisfaction than ever. Through the centuries, this writer says, men like Metternich and Woodrow Wilson, Neville Chamberlain, F.D. Roosevelt and others conferred with other leaders to calm international storms, but not infrequently their decisions brought on prospects of even greater storms. As hard as man may try, it certainly seems that we sinners stir up more in this world than we still. We stir up more in this world than we still. It is certainly true that there are many things in this world that are well beyond our human fixing, no matter how valiantly, nobly, or hard we may try. Look what St. Mark tells us about the disciples in our text for today, and we can see the parallels that are there. He says that Jesus saw that the disciples, as they're out in the middle of the sea, as they're there in the boat, Jesus saw that the disciples were making headway painfully. An interesting Greek word there, where it says making headway painfully, a Greek word that actually means painfully and tortuously as though they were being tortured painfully, in essence is what the word says, painfully tortured because they were expending every bit of physical strength that they had, every bit of emotional and intellectual strength that they had, every muscle in their body to keep their boat afloat at sea, trying to keep things under control, trying to keep under control those things that can't be controlled by man, namely the wind and the waves, painfully tortured because they'd been fighting this battle against these natural elements all night, our text tells. St. John, in fact, adds a, a detail that St. Mark tells us, and he says that they were rowing against the wind for a distance of about three and a half miles against these strong winds in the middle of this massive, and this angry storm at sea, and they are physically exhausted. They are emotionally distraught, convinced that their end is at hand. After all, it's during, St. Mark tells us, the fourth watch of the night. You know what time that is. The first watch of the night is from 6 to 9 p.m., the second watch from 9 to midnight, the third watch from midnight to 3 p.m., the fourth watch of the night, or a.m., from the, the fourth watch of the night then being from 
3 o'clock in the morning until 6 o'clock in the morning. They're physically exhausted from having been out there all those hours fighting headway and painfully, torturelessly against that storm coupled with the ordinary and understandable fear that comes from perhaps thinking that they had, despite all of their years as experienced fishermen, having seen the number of storms that they had seen and confronting the number of winds and gales that they had confronted, that they'd finally met their match, they'd finally come into this perfect storm, that the sea was finally going to have its revenge and it was ready to devour them. Afraid, in the middle of the night, scared to death, that forces and powers beyond their control were going to keep them from seeing morning's light. Some of you may have been in that boat a few times yourselves. If not, indeed, in each of our lives there comes that time when we would be. So tired and so exhausted from some battle that's being waged, so painfully tortured by the elements beating against us, so on edge because of it all that we not only give up, but we don't even recognize the help that comes to save us. Such skeptics, even in times such as that, we are. You think I'm being a bit too hard on the disciples? A bit too hard on us after all that they and we go through in contending against these storms and these demons in our night watches? After all, who's responsible for allowing our paths to cross with those painfully tortuous experiences that we have to fight? Wasn't it Jesus who sent the disciples out that night? It was. It was Jesus that sent the disciples out. The omnipotent Lord who surely knew there would be a storm at sea. What does St. Mark tells us? He says, immediately Jesus made them. The word in the Greek is uh, compelled them. He constrained them. He made them. In the greatest sense of the word, he compelled and constrained his disciples to get into the boat and to go before him to the other side. Jesus put them in the boat, knowing there would be a storm at sea. But always, dear friends, always, there's a method to what appears to us at times to be divine madness in things. Knowing what he knew about the storm, Jesus did indeed constrain and compel his disciples to get into that boat. But he did also, in addition to that, he also delayed in going to their aid. When he saw that they were futilely fighting for their lives, in effect, that's what St. Mark tells us when he writes, note what he says, he says, and when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway tortuously. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. When evening came, St. Mark says, that's about 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. When evening came, he saw, St. Mark says, and then some nine hours later, in the fourth watch of the night, he came. Notice the delay, a divine delay. 
One of those divine delays that our Lord Jesus would use from time to time, divine delays where he waits for us to wear ourselves out from trying to do what we ultimately can't do so that we'll despair of ourselves and our self-help and turn in faith to him. Divine delays which are measured out perfectly for our good and God works meticulously and precisely during that time of those divine delays and even surgically, we, we might say, to, to cut away the great dangers that are in us and around us, sometimes dangers that aren't so apparent to us as the wind and the waves and the crisis at hand, but sometimes dangers that are more subtly within us that we don't even see. Look at the disciples. They feared and they were convinced that they were about to be done in by the storm that was raging so visibly and obviously around them. But all the while, there was a much more dangerous storm that was stirring deeply within each of them. A storm which they didn't even recognize as being there, the inner storm at that time of doubt and unbelief. How do we know that? Well, think about what had just happened before our text for today. We heard about it last Sunday in the sermon, Jesus feeding the 5,000 plus men, women, and children with just five loaves of bread and two fish. And what did the text tell us as we heard last week? And all ate and all were satisfied. It was a miracle indeed. A miracle through which the disciples and all of the scattered sheep of Israel, as we heard, were gathered together by our Lord. And they should have seen then our Lord for who he was. They should have seen him for being God in the flesh. God come to save them. Not first and foremost from the physical discomforts of a missed meal. But first and foremost to come to save them from the eternal agonies of hell itself. The most important miracle of the day wasn't that they were being fed but it was rather in who was feeding them. But despite the miracle, we know from scripture that the people didn't really see Jesus for who he was, not even the disciples. Neither did they see Jesus as they ought, demonstrated clearly by what happens during now the storm at sea. Jesus sees them rowing painfully, Against the winds and the waves, he waits hours for them to wear themselves out, so the despairing of self and of everything else, they will look in faith to him as who he is, as God in the flesh come to save them, that they will trust in him and look to him and sing out with the psalmist, even as we sang out in the psalm earlier today, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. But what happens? Jesus comes during the fourth watch of the night, walking toward them, their Lord on the sea to save them. And he wants to pass before them, St. Mark says, not really go beyond them as though he didn't want to help them, but he wants to pass before them that they might indeed see him in faith, then turning to him and being internally quieted because of his presence with them, even though the storm around them rages on. But what happens? St. Mark says, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought that he was a phantasma, a phantom, a ghost, a specter, 
about to steal away another soul at sea. And they were terazzo in the Greek. They were terrified to the deepest parts of their inner being. They were stirred up and agitated. Terazzo means they were agitated like water that's being brought to a boil. Fear, you see, spawning even greater fears. And that's what fear always does. It doesn't leave you alone. It spawns a greater fear. And Jesus says, take heart. It is I. Ego eimi, a simple phrase that's used in scripture by God to identify himself as being present to save his people. When he says, I am, it is I, the same thing. So many times in scripture identifying himself as being the God of Israel who was there to save them, but his presence wasn't enough for them. And so that even after he got into the boat with them, St. Mark tells us, and even after the wind ceased, even after the wind ceased, he says, even then they still didn't, quote, understand about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. Even after all this, they weren't yet recognizing that Jesus, who fed the 5,000, and this Jesus who stilled the storm at sea was the Son of God, become man, there to save them. God come to save them, not simply from the hunger pangs in a mountainside or from the pain that's caused by the strained and the stretched and overextended muscles contending with the storm at sea. No, God had come in the flesh to save them from their sinfulness, from their fears that come from that sinfulness, from a deeply embedded reality within them which would do far more to harm them than the hunger pangs on a mountainside or the storms at sea could ever do. And so they needed something far more able to do, far more abundantly than anything that they would ask God to do for them. And as St. Paul puts it so powerfully in the epistle lesson for today, and indeed, as we know it to be, that our Lord Jesus Christ is the one who can do far more abundantly than everything that we ask or think. We didn't ask. And who would think that of all things, the greatest good for all humanity would be worked by God as he places himself upon two pieces of wood that we put together? Who would even think that? Who would think that through a cross, the most feared instrument of painful torture that the Lord Jesus Christ would do so far more abundantly than anything and everything that we would ask or even think as he there on that cross paid for the sins of all humankind. God working even as he did in the days of Noah through water and his word to save people doing it sometimes and still through water and his word today all the time is through baptism he connects us to the death and the resurrection of Christ doing so far more abundantly than anything that we would ask or even think God working still right here in his church in his ark bearing the saved souls of people his people by coming to be present with us in his very body and blood sacramentally present as he said that he would be to forgive us and to quiet us, to bring stillness to the storms of our lives, and to do far more abundantly than anything and everything that we would ask or think. And so it is. 
So it is that our Lord is still present with his people today, even in the first and the second, the third and the fourth watch of the night to do far more abundantly for us than all that we ask or think. So when the time comes, and it most surely will, that the winds stir up and throw the waves against you during the day, or when they wear you out the first or the second or the third watch of night, and you're painfully tortured by it all as were the disciples, and you're imagining ghosts where there really are none, then look up in faith. Look up in faith as the author David Redding puts it. And he says, look up in faith and watch the dreadful apparition vanish and hear instead of a fiend from hell, hear the voice of the Son of God from heaven, who, as St. Mark tells us, at once spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, be not afraid, be not afraid because he still stills the storms. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Take all that you want. 
This morning at 5 o'clock a.m., our Lord called home to heaven our brother in Christ, Glenn Miller. Memorial services announcements will be made sometime during the middle of the week, and you would be able to call the church office to find out when the memorial service would be. We remember his wife, Artis, and his family as well in our prayers. And so let us now pray for the whole people of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs, we pray. For the church throughout the world, that she, like Noah's Ark of old, may be the place of refuge for your chosen people, sheltering them from the winds and the waves of the world, which would otherwise overwhelm us, Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. For the pastors you've called and ordained to serve your church, that with St. Paul they may faithfully lead your people in calling upon you in prayer, as we confidently confess that you are able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For all who commend themselves in faith to your care and keeping, that you would still the storms of life that so easily trouble, torment, and even threaten us, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For the leaders of nations, especially our President and Congress, as they consider legislation that will greatly impact the future of our country, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For the men and women of our armed forces, especially those in Iraq and Afghanistan, that they may diligently carry out their duties, be protected from all harm and danger, and finally be returned to their homes and families, Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. For this congregation, O Lord, that we would be so grounded in the love of Christ, that with the saints above we would gratefully celebrate your love and encourage one another to boldly confess your name throughout the world, Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. For the unemployed, that you would open doors of opportunity for them, for the financially stressed, that you would provide them with resources necessary to meet their obligations to others and to care for their families. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For all who travel during these summer days, that they may be protected from harm and danger and reach their destinations and be refreshed by their time with family or friends. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For doctors and nurses and all those who care for the sick, for those with child, that they may be protected from all harm and danger. For faithful hospice workers and family members and all who tend to the dying. For all who conduct medical research, that you, O Lord, would bless them in their vocations, that you would use their work to bless the sick and those recovering from illness. And especially do we pray for Hugh Ryan and Paul Dwell. Dick and Elsie Much, Jeanette and Shirley Brackman, others among us who depend upon the dedicated care of others, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For those who are dying, for those who grieve the death of loved ones, especially do we pray for Artis Miller and her family at the death of her husband, Glenn. We pray also for Gary Albrand and his wife, Jeannie, at the sudden death of their infant grandson, Nate Hayes. We ask your blessings upon each of these as they suffer during this time of sadness and sorrow that you would be their comfort and that you would give them that peace that passes all understanding and assure them of their inheritance in heaven and the reunion of those who belong to Christ. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For all the saints who have gone before us that we would remember them with gratitude and that we would be encouraged by their witness and example to confess Christ faithfully and boldly, 
even in the face of persecution, as we await and prepare to welcome that day when we by grace share in their eternal joy. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. O Father, the source of all life here on earth and the life that never ends, receive our prayers which we offer to you this day. In the name of your beloved Son, who lives and who reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. And hear us also, O Lord, as together we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, you have safely brought us to the beginning of this day. Defend us in the same with your mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by your governance, may be righteous in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all.